Step right up, step right up for some very problematic representation of the differently abled. I'm Noah Jansen. I'm Meg Jansen. I'm Eliza Jansen. And this is Twin Bix. Who is he? <laughs> Gosh, I love movies. Well and truly back. Welcome to Twin Picks, the show where a pair of actual, real-life human twins... And also me! ...make a double feature out of two movies that share some kind of similarity and decide which one does its job better. What's up, a couple of old-timers? How Here are we, we doing? Are yet again. Feeling good? We're freaks. Where the freaks at? Where the freaks at? Tell me. Say hell yeah if you're a super freak. Hell yeah. You're doing like that. Sorry. How are we feeling for today's episode? Feeling good. I've got lots of thoughts about today's episode. Yeah. One of these films is very, very famous uh, in amongst my friends for that I'm really annoyingly passionate about it. It's one of these things that, like, I'm passionate about it, but nobody, everyone's just like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like a nobody real... meets me <laughs> with any level of passion. Like, why is he talking They're about it? Like, okay. It's a real, like, don't get me started on. Yeah, yeah. truly. I, I, I actually will say to people, like, because, again, I do music theatre. It's The Greatest Showman. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I do music theatre, so everyone always talks about The Greatest Showman. We'll talk about, like, how prevalent that movie is in, like, the pop culture sphere at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's exhausting. Half this is the one time I'm gonna purge all my feelings about this movie and then never talk about it again. Wow. That is a lie. Oh, I'm so <laughs> I know. I actually, I'm so ready. I've got like four pages of notes. But before we do that, mm. um, I was thinking, you know, maybe a bit of a, a flashback to episode one because there was some interesting movie news recently about both of the films in our very first episode. So The Parent Trap is being turned into a musical called oh. Identical in the UK. So they're on the hunt oh, for wow. identical twins. Jeez. And Noah, we could do it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that's like. Yeah. And over at Paramount, they're doing a yeah. remake of Face Off with a script from Oren Uziel, who is writing <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie. Oh, God. Wow. That's coming out. So many things you said in that sentence, I just don't care about. Which one? <laughs> I am so beyond impartial to the majority of the <laughs> things you just spoke so You're no- such a Sonic head. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you always talk about Sonic. Sonic Gotta go this, fast. Sonic that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so is it a big. I think I, I get a thumbs up for Identical. I think that's a good idea. I think it really it's suits a musical. It's a musical ready thing. As yeah, long as totally. you can find the twins. And they've done like a lot of those kind of Disney movies that were remakes. They've made them into musical yeah, stuff. Yeah, they have. Like, but I feel like that's lazy Friday. storytelling, isn't it? This isn't a musical theatre podcast. But, like, you know, in what movie is it? Booksmart, I think. The boy's like, I have a real passion for original storytelling in musical theatre. I love that. I was like, this is funny. Do you not know what I'm talking about? It's not very I don't good. Know I don't, it's gone. Booksmart it's gone. didn't really Cut have it. any effect on me at all, honestly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, sorry. But I think remaking Face Off misses <sighs> the entire point of Face Off. They're because gonna, it's all yeah. about the reason that movie works is John Woo, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. It's going to be like the Total Recall Reboot where it's like Total Recall is so bonkers and specifically Paul Verhoeven and Arnold Schwarzenegger and they're going to strip it of all of that and make it like a really boring, like blue lit, like yeah, super put industrial sheen. looking. Yeah, like yeah just a ass. sheen of, of like that yeah. weird now like industrial shine that we put on everything. 
Too right. Well, uh, with that said, I think it's time to talk about our twin picks this week, which are Freaks and The Greatest Showman. Uh, the connection, of course, being circus, carnival-based films that are about equality and the way that we treat mm. our really? fellow person. They try to be. To varying degrees, mm. indeed. Well, uh, I think it's... I think we're going to have lots of thoughts. I think it's time to jump into our first movie. Freaks is a 1932 horror film directed by Todd Browning, who's uh, most famous for directing Bela Lugosi in Universal's Dracula. So essentially kind of like the face of what horror was in uh, the the 40s and and 30s uh, was kind of created by Todd Browning. So that whole before the MCU, you know, like Dracula, Frankenstein, the, the mummy, monster cinematic the monster. universe. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise is crying somewhere, um, and yeah, and the, the film follows a troupe of sideshow carnival performers, um, in particular the disfigured freaks, and uh, it focuses on a beautiful trapeze artist plotting to marry a dwarf and then kill him in order to take his inheritance. Um, before we get into talking about the film, I need to do a big old history dump because mm. this film is infamous. Um, mm. So fascinating reading up on it this week. So one of the films, uh, like the strongest quality that I'm sure we're going to talk about is that it, ha- it all the actors in particular, the, um, like the sideshow performers, were real sideshow performers are. It contains such now like famous people as um, the conjoined Hilton twins who were the basis of, uh, of the musical Sideshow. Um, and the film, uh, when uh, the, the original cut was 90 minutes long and then it had famously disastrous test screenings in January of 1932. Um, an audience member actually claimed that the film caused her to have a miscarriage. Jeez. So the original cut was cut from 90 minutes to 64 minutes. It's one of the biggest studio-mandated cuts of all time. Mm. And uh, that original footage has never been recovered. We don't know where it is. I'm sure it's in a vault somewhere. I wonder if we'll ever see it. But still, the film was released and it has quite the rap sheet. It was banned in the UK for 30 years. It's the only MGM film to ever be pulled prior to completing its uh, full domestic engagement. And it effectively ended Browning's career. He never made another film, essentially. Mm. Um... I have so many horrific, cruel reviews for this film. I'm going to point out one at the moment because I think it really kicks off the uh, conversation in an interesting way. Uh, Variety wrote that this film does not thrill and at the same time does not please since it is impossible for the normal man or woman to sympathise with the aspiring midget, is a dwarf, and only in such a case will the story appeal. <laughs> Which is the reason why I feel like now, being content, like viewers now, I feel so blessed that I get to watch this film from a contemporary lens because for the very reason that this film then was seen as horrific for showing empathy, it's now seen as gorgeous and, and or, or as like so ahead of its time for presenting uh, this, this dwarf with and like this whole community with such a, yeah, an empathetic lens. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. There, it's something so like jarring seeing, you know, these dwarves being called midgets and calling themselves midgets when we today know that that's like an offensive 
um, term and, and yeah, looking at it from like our lens, it's a very jarring experience. I know this might not be the most appropriate thing to say, but I watched it on YouTube and I was just thinking like, who is the person who thought like this needs to be on YouTube for people to see? <laughs> like this is such a sort of forgotten little remnant of the past that you don't think people would want to talk about. It's so embarrassing that it was so heavily censored um, because it did depict this sort of like brutal carny existence, I guess. Yeah. Um, do we know what the original cut actually included that was so yeah, offensive? There's yeah, there's rumours about what was left out and some of it is like pretty gnarly horror movie stuff. Yeah. But like the fact that some of it must have been censored because – like, I can't believe the article is criticising the film for being too sympathetic, whereas, like, yeah. watching it now, we're like, is, some of these performers are definitely being exploited. Well, it's like, an interesting oh, thing to talk about with this film of, like, how do we feel watching it through a modern lens, even though it's so empathetic, like, even though for, for, for as progressive as it is, it's still, due to, like, the time it is, it's still exploiting yeah. these performers like where do how do we feel about the line of this film because i'm interested mm-hmm. that like i really come into this and go like what a pivotal vital artifact yeah. cinematic artifact yeah. to watch a film so ahead of its time in the fact that it's this was seen as this like disgusting film mm. for it was basically like, snuff an we element like why are we allowed to see this an this element so, of like, the horror was look at like Pete, the audience's thought an element of the horror was look at how it's supposed to feel for these things. Yeah. Whereas actually Browning did direct it with the approach of that you should feel for these creatures. Yeah. But then in the finale, he uses their disfigurements yeah. as, a horror movie, as vehicles ultimately. for horror. Yeah. yeah. What do we think about that finale? That is where the biggest uh, cut was. So essentially um, Cleopatra, the trapeze artist has been plotting to kill uh, the dwarf Hans uh, for his, inheritance and then there's a, a famous finale where the uh the carnival's moving so the the carriages are all like going out into a in a storm they're rolling out and there's a big crash and there's some very iconic imagery of um all of the performers so, so cool. they're like, like different dwarfs beyond the human rights issue it is such a cool it's scene like so powerful crouching underneath the caravans cra- and like with knives crawling and teeth, in crawling the mud, the mud. Yeah. and it's where my biggest conflict with this film is because on one hand i go you're using their disabilities and their appearance as, as spectacle. spectacle and as ve- like as a vessel for saying that this is horrific yep. but at the same time it's so empowering that the film has told a tale of repression and of people with real human emotions being treated like dirt uh, rising up. And I think that's always pretty evocative imagery, regardless of the time when your film was made. I think there is a very forgiving reading to be done of it, where at the very start of the film, when the carnival barker, he's showing you what Cleopatra ends up being, which is Mm. that the freaks disfigure her and make her into one of them. Mm. He says, if you... Like the freaks, they have a code. It's not like a human normal code, but they mm. do have one. And it's that if you offend one of them, you offend all of them. Yeah. And I think if the climax of the film is meant to be saying that when the freaks are offended, they become what normal society sees them as. Like they turn into monsters and they live up to like the awful reputation that we have set up for them. I think that's excusable because it's like, well, what else are they meant to do? Like yeah. if we treat them like they're these disgusting subhuman beings, like fine why not why can't they like get their revenge under those conditions yeah and be monstrous i understand that i also understand it um you know another forgiving reading in the sense that 
uh, we can look at it as if it's almost as if they've said to her, like, you may be beautiful on the outside, but you're disgusting on the inside. Yeah. You're a really ugly, like, soul. And yeah, so she that's and what the strong we will man make you. are more freakish than any of the differently yeah. abled performers. Absolutely. And for that way, don't you think, like, Meg, it seems like you you are more affronted by the fact that maybe this film is just such an artifact that even for as progressive as it was for the time, you still are quite affronted by the fact that yeah. there is an element of exploitation. I don't know film. that it's affronted. I'm confronted by it. Like I find it a hard watch. It's an uncomfortable Truly. watch. Mm. I think even just the fact that it's said in so few words, like it's so short, it's cut off. It's sort of this really abrupt finish mm. and it does feel really exploitative. There's the, the scene where they're all chanting around the dinner table, one of one us, one, one of, of us, one of us. And it pans across and it shows all the faces of these, you know, disfigured people and they're all – there's it, there's an inhumanity to it. Like it doesn't feel – it doesn't feel like even though he may have been attempting to do it, it doesn't feel like the filmmaker was going into this thinking like how can we show these people as people. Um, but unlike a lot of circumstances like this where you use real human like re- like actual people that the story relates to in them I actually do go here that I love I love that this isn't a do- documentary. Yeah. I love that there's a narrative to this because it gives the film such a bluntness and it feels even more confronting that we're not just seeing them as they are we're seeing people that have really been attacked and disregarded their whole life and disenfranchised their whole life. We're watching them be given like material to work yeah, with and yeah. like perform. Like there's something like really unsettling. Subplots yeah. and like getting to show off their awesome skills that aren't related to like, exploitation. Like oh. Prince Randy and rolling the cigarette. Like that's so cool. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. incredible. Oh. Like without arms or legs to roll your own cigarette. That's yeah, so the cool. documentary-esque feel that you get from watching these real human like these real human beings going about their life mm. in service of this plot yeah it's pretty astounding to me yeah. i think like we can probably talk about it all day whether we like it or not but like because we're all basically pretty able like i don't think we can really speak to the experience of being profoundly yeah. disabled in the 30s let alone oh, today God, no. but mm. like yeah i think compared to i guess when we see um how the differently abled or any kind of minority or fringe community is depicted today where it's like, oh, a straight dude dressed up as a gay guy or, like, it's us, like, putting people in freak drag. I would definitely Mm. rather watch Freaks than watch, like, Dallas Buyers Club and see Jared Leto pretending to be freaky or some shit. For sure. Yeah, Yeah. actually, yeah, I hadn't thought about that at all and I do definitely admire that. Um, here it's but it, yeah it doesn't change the fact that it's a, it's not a comfortable watch not that I'm asking for it mm. I'm not asking of it for it to be you know comfy easy watching but yeah there's mm. something so um it has such a like dark charm yeah really menacing it. undertone yeah, and it's, it's hard it's hard to watch yeah um in, ter- in terms of the film's uh like uh strength as just like a film the composure of a film how do we feel I I had a bit of a problem with Obviously, you have to realise there's like half an hour on the cutting room floor. Yep. But um, there's a little bit of a slice of life subplot element to the film where... It's basically yeah. the first half of the it's movie, For the first right? half of the movie, yeah. we meet... Like, there's like little bits where we meet, um, like, like I mentioned, the Hilton twins. You meet them and how mm. both of the women are... Are they both... Do they both have... They, have, they both partners. have boyfriends. They yeah, both have days. a boyfriend, so it's the idea of, like, how are they going to spend their life yeah, when they the both boyfriends meet each have other a boyfriend. So it tries to have this thing of, like, little slice-of-life subplots, yeah. but then the central structure, like, the central bone of the film, the spine, is 
this um, story between Cleopatra mm. and Hans, and but I feel like that's so uneven that it just feels a bit yeah. disorienting it at first. It starts late yeah. and finishes really early. Yeah. I also wonder if part of my discomfort in watching and also talking about this film comes from the fact that all other, like, texts and media that's related to sort of this, like, carny freak show circus idea, it's all really... Um, I don't know, sort of gaudy. Like I, I'm almost thinking of like big fish and things like that where it's like this funny little code oh, of, sure. um, you know, carny community and they all bond together and there's, there isn't this sort of like the politics of it. It's not yeah. as as relevant. Um, I don't know what it is. There's something really, yeah, difficult about this watch and obviously because of the context it emerges from. Sorry to drag it back to that, but yeah. No, no, totally. I think um, there's something really, I think I'm very interested interested for today's Compare the Picks because I think The Greatest Showman is really the way that we like to paint carnivals now as this like we like the glitz and the glam and I think that the reason that Freaks needs to be revisited is that it's the only film that I think captures the inhumanity of what that industry was. Yeah, yeah. for better or worse. And yeah. then even, yeah, visually, I guess this speaks to that. There's nothing glamorous about this film, even no, though it did, like it exists within the industrial yeah. constraints of like just after the silent era. Yeah. And, you know, it's black and white, obviously, so it, it can't accomplish as much, but it's not glamorous. There is nothing romantic about this imagery. Hmm. You're not watching this thinking, oh, how visually stunning and, you know, that. but that's also not what it, it um, tries to do. It does feel more documentary than anything yeah. in a lot of ways, I would say. That bums me out that we didn't have any more Todd Browning movies after this. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have to double check if that's true, off. but I'm, I'm definitely like they, his career was effectively ended. Man. He was such a, a tough bet. They lost so much money. Yeah. Interesting. Well, stunning. Uh, that is Freaks. <laughs> All right, fellas. No, it's shaking, trembling. <laughs> Great. I quake as I say, the greatest showman. 2017 film. It's uh, a family musical biopic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say biopic because come on. Um, <laughs> directed by Michael Gracie, who is an Australian. It's his directorial biopic. Like, <laughs> I heard that. Director- <laughs> Did you guys hear me say that? that yeah, I heard, heard it. it. You no, definitely said like it. like it. Um, so I think I'm going to open this this convo with, again, as I said, doing music theatre, I'm surrounded by Greatest Showman a lot. I do it to every warm-up for every jazz cast. Jeez. Um, and I have this weird little belief that in music theatre, the music should serve the story. So, like, music <laughs> should be in a, in a musical to propel plot or to reveal something about characters that sends them on a journey so that they can therefore propel the plot or even just that we learn more about them so we understand their place in a show. Mm. Uh, There are four songs in The Greatest Showman that you could put in any order in the film and it would do nothing. Okay. (laughs) The Greatest greatest Show, Come Alive... I don't know. Uh, come oh, alive, come alive. Um, this is me. Yeah. And this, this um, from now on, 
are all about yeah. the same thing. And if you put them in any order, it wouldn't do anything. Yeah, they're all just like a vague, like inspirational, like yeah. freaking like Hey Soul Sister. And apparently every oh, don't single- bag Hey Soul Sister. Come on. Come on. It's the it's, same level of like radio a- friendly, like <laughs> kids in the car, mum driving them to like swim squad. Like Whenever I listen to it, I'm like, dad would love this. Because <laughs> it all reminds me of fun, F- fun, oh, F- and dots. Come on, we are bagging some F- brilliant F- bands and songs. Man, Let's just hold don't back. be a plan. <laughs> no, so yeah, we should, okay, it's a musical, we should talk about the music first. Yeah, okay, yeah. what do we think? Because I have been saying all week, as a pop album on its own, sure, I find it very catchy. No, no. This is just because you don't listen to popular music. You only listen <laughs> yeah. to musical theatre songs. Yeah, these yeah, of songs course. suck. Sorry, no, but, but they all sound like they were written by, like, Imagine Dragons. Yeah, Imagine Dragons. Yeah, it does. No, they're written it. by Who wrote these Hassock songs? and Paul, who are really great. It's mm. so sad. They Their melodies are better than their lyrics, but they're yeah. terrific. Yeah. I think they, even for 2017, it sounds a bit old. It sounds like the songs that were coming out. 2013. Yeah. They wrote it prior to their whole, Hassock and Paul's whole um, career is very, like, out of order. Like, they mm. just, their most recent project, essentially, is Dear Evan Hansen, and it's one of the mm. first things they wrote. And Greatest Showman was, like, the the first it's thing they like did before. It's been like gestation for ages or whatever. So it does kind of sound, when I listen to their, some Ugh. stuff now, I'm like, that sounds more mature than It sounds than like Mumford and Sons and like 2013 Imagine Dragons. Truly. Um, yeah, it really okay. suffers from uh, the little complex that is called now the Millennial Whoop. So what? it's when like every single song has a bit that's like, uh, 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 like, uh, Yeah, like a sing-along that uh, everyone, even if you're shit at singing, you can be like, yeah. uh, and you can probably yeah. clap to it too. I remember seeing this movie, like it came out like Christmas, like two years ago and in the cinema, as soon as the music started playing, like that kind of like pop music and horses came in trotting in between. Like, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited for this movie. Okay. My, my big thing with this, I hate when people are like, oh, but you just like, you don't know how to like have fun with a movie, right? Okay. High School Musical 2 is genuinely one of my favorite <laughs> films. Like I can totally fuck with schmaltz. It's but not when it's like morally misguided and honestly mm. pretty reckless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this film, I'm sure we'll wander back to the fucking music at some point, but this film claims to be about the life of P.T. Barnum. In making a biopic about Barnum, mm. there is the very complicated matter of you are deciding to make a story about a man whose career was based on exploitation. Mm. So this film, rather than going, okay, we can pre- what can we do about that? We can present him as a complicated man. We can try and find an avenue to tell that story truthfully, but still have us be a family film. They paint him as a messiah of the disenfranchised. They yeah. paint him as this god well, there even then- to protect them. And P.T. Barnum in history, have you guys read about Joyce Heth? Yeah. Have you heard about this? This no, is disgusting. This? So Barnum, um, he had a slave. Mm. No, well, there was a slave and he bought her and mm. claimed that she was uh, George Washington's 161-year-old nanny oh. um, and literally just stuck her in a box, uh, oh a very, like a very old she, – she wasn't 161. She was blind uh, – very deaf and essentially paralyzed. She oh could um, she could only move her left arm and could do a little bit of talking. Yeah. And then when she died, he sold tickets to a public autopsy of her. Wow. And we're going to paint Barnum as well, this messiah. But then Jack- even then, what I would say is like, okay, we're making this really weird sort of biopic, but 
this guy isn't even likable. Mm. Like they're sort of trying yeah. to pretend that he is like, you know, the pioneer of this new wave of like celebrating difference and look at him go like he's, you know, united all these disabled people who are now reclaiming their identities as like mm. freaks yeah. or whatever. It's like, wait, but this guy sucks. Like <laughs> in the, the movie he cheats on his wife. I agree with you. It's he like, like abandons them for this hot girl. Fully whitewash yeah, him and yeah. do it properly. Guy. Like if I'm supposed to like him, make me like him. Like <laughs> just putting Hugh Jackman you, you in the role really is going to do it. The movie doesn't actually care about what it knows it should be. So there are two thematic things that this movie that are really prominent in this movie. One of them is the one that the movie actually gives a shit about. That's dreams. Mm. Um, like what being is yourself. The, being yourself? Yeah. The, no, like like what's the measure of success? Yeah. And the other one is you should be nice to everyone and everyone deserves equality. Blah 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 blah. It mm. doesn't. It knows it has to pretend to care about that story, mm. but it actually cares about the dreams and the what is like if you have a family, then you you are successful. Like that's the story it really cares about. You're making a movie about Barnum. You can't do that. Yeah. You have to talk about the reality of how horrible this industry was. And, like, every decision he makes, the film kind of dresses it up as being, like, a human rights movement. And all the characters are like, you gave us a chance. I'm like, no, you fucking didn't. Like, everything he did was motivated by finance. Like, the only reason he got the freaks in is because his first thing sucked and he had terrible, like... (laughs) business model that when, didn't work yeah. and then the he's like oh i can exploit these freaking ugly weirdos <laughs> and they're like thank you but even just aside from all of that like none they don't even dwell on any of the things that are supposed to be like mildly good like the whole jump from him being a little poor boy on the streets like a little pauper to like his growth as like this career showman or whatever i'm kind of like what is happening here like where what am i following what are, what are we supposed to be like admiring what are you queuing me to do because i didn't know again at every turn you feel where they should where they go this is where that beat should be will do something resembling it. Like mm. the way that he recruits, um, again, an example of that this film pretends to care about representation, but it doesn't. Um, with the dwarf character, he's played by a guy from Melbourne who is actually just short and not actually a dwarf. And then they CGI'd his legs shorter. And you're like, what? there are actual <laughs> dwarf actors that need to be presented on film. Why did you yeah. get this guy? And it's not like he's an amazing singer or actor yeah. or anything. You're like, why this guy? Ugh. Anyway, um, <laughs> in, the scene where, in the scene where he's recruited, in the very scene where he's recruited, um, the spiel that Barnum gives to him to be like, you know, don't you like want to, like that when they look at you, they won't laugh. Like they'll yeah. be amazed and stuff. I'm like, that's not that is exploitation. You know that they will laugh. Like that's yeah, not they, like, empowering. Put him on a horse. And you can't just print, be like, Napoleon. "This is supposed to be empowering," they're and like, not have it actually be empowering. So Same as so, like, what frustrates me so much is that you know, like every single ad on TV, the background song is "This Is Me." This is me. Is this? It's such a anthem. Channel Seven. Yeah. Oh, it's a Channel Seven. After the tennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is me. <laughs> 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 like my kitchen rules or something. <laughs> it's like Manu being like, "Welcome." This to, is the greatest this show. This is the greatest show. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, it's supposed to be this anthem of rallying that, like, it's time to tell our story. Yeah. In the movie The Greatest Show, this is where you start by characters being like, we will not be sidelined anymore. <laughs> and, and then, then they they're sidelined. Side-lined. I don't get it. Why yeah. do I do not song? know they're a not single one in, of the characters' names aside They're not in the movie Barnum. for, like, 30 minutes after that. And I'm yeah. like, you just said 
especially because it just comes out of nowhere. They're like, yeah. we will not be shoved aside. Yeah. Um, and especially the funniest thing ever. Can we talk about how funny the extras are in this movie? Like all the backup dancers, they're like, you're wacky and crazy because you have Look at our silly white hair. hair. Yeah. And they're, they're like, like, it's a man, yet he wears a skirt. <laughs> and he's like an amazing dancer, like super conventionally attractive. Yeah, literally. And they're like, oh, God this disgusting freaks. Um, yeah, Do you no, guys like did. Hugh in this film? Uh, yeah. No. And there's something inherently likable about Hugh, so that's saying something. I think yeah. he's Sorry. charming. It's just horrible material. My problem horrible with him is material. I hate his pop voice. Like, yeah. I, I don't How mind him as a... How he starts every song be like, it's the time that you want and you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it like, has a like, chorus and you're like, oh, whoa, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, he's a good dancer in this He's though. great, yeah. but in his dancing um, is really Can good. we go around the table and say the one, everyone's most like unintentionally funny moment of the oh. film? Oh, that's hard. No, oh, I, I have, have a little to, list. Man. Oh, <laughs> 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 throw this on me. <laughs> Eliza can do mine. Okay, I, like that. I cannot think of a specific about- moment in this film. It all blends into one. <laughs> what about at the start when he's like, "What do you wish for, my little girls, or whatever?" And one of them is like, "I wish to marry Santa Claus." <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that was good. What that was just hell? genuinely enjoyable. What a good job. I love yeah. um, my personal favorite. Oh, after you. Yeah, you go. <laughs> my first, so it's so exciting. This is genuinely my favorite conversation in the world. My favorite <laughs> uh, moment is, so Jenny Lind, the Swedish <laughs> nightingale or whatever, being like, I'm the greatest opera singer in the world. <laughs> and go out, going out onto the stage. Oh, and then I was like. She does not like, sing opera. She's going to sing a pop song. And she's like, <laughs> trying to hold me. Oh, my God. Poor Rebecca Ferguson. Like, you really love her as an actress. I love Rebecca Ferguson. I think she is incredible. And it's so sad that the one thing in this movie that they have for her to do is sing that song. And she's lip synced. Lip sync. And, like, it's such a slow song. She has nothing to do but just, like, Oh, physically, it's so weird on the stage. She does these weird, like, pops. It's so clear that all the songs aren't designed for a musical because they need so much artifice to hold them up, Mm. which really sticks out with Never Enough because she's just doing weird, like, body pumps. It went for so long. These songs, every single song in this movie, I'm like, come on, let's wrap it up, boys. The movie clips along, though. The movie, the pacing, you're like... What the well, hell? that's Where what I was going to say was my funny moment. The fact that like Jenny Lind and like whatever yeah. Barnum have this romantic moment where they're like, let's celebrate us. And they're like away on this tour. They're like pouring champagne. And then literally 30 se- seconds later, she's like, it's over. It's like, we're done. I was like, what? I love how they got papped. Like, in like the 1800s, like there was still paparazzi around to be like, gotcha. Like, draw, like this beautiful like etched painting. Oh my God. Jenny Lind for the next Bachelorette. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Jenny, find Jenny somebody to love. Nightingale. Stunning. Oh. I, I think it's. Are we ready to talk about these two films? We can Let's talk about this. We truly could. Let's move into it. Let's compare the picks. So now it's time to compare the picks. So this is the part of the show where we look at our two picks. Uh, Back to back, we look at them, what one does better, what one does worse, and ultimately, which one does its job better. Uh, I think this week, the thing that sticks out to me the most when you put these films next to each other is one of them is an authentic representation of a pretty grim industry, and the other one is interested in the sparkles of that industry, and it's really fucked up that the more progressive one came out in 1932. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I would say as well, just in terms of like we're always every week in this um, podcast, we're trying to think about like which film accomplishes its mission better. Like 
yes, it was uncomfortable viewing personally, especially like I had a hard time watching um, Freaks, but that's what it wanted to be. Like it wanted to be uncomfortable. I think Freaks wants you it to empathise and to confront. you endlessly do. Yeah, Even absolutely. more so because of the film's place in history. Yeah. It's obviously changed now. Now it's like a cult, a cult piece. But yeah. I think if anything, time gives this time gives freaks so much like it's aged so yeah. well because it's a film that wants you to empathize and every year like every time you watch it you'd go it is so unfair that these people were finally able to tell a story yeah and then it that was thrown was, back in their face they yeah. were told that they sh- didn't deserve that to be seen yeah. Yeah. yeah that they were so abhorrent that the image of them on a screen was in itself horrifying yeah, yeah. but when we talk about like our standard here is did the movie succeed um, in terms of what it wanted to do? And Freaks mm. is like a massive failure for like yeah, what it said actually. Like true. no one watched it and it had this terrible reputation. That's and like true. all the performers, a lot of the performers had really short, miserable lives marked with like alcoholism yeah. or like yeah. just abuse yeah. and exploitation. And comparably, the guy Shaman did, did great. really well for it. The songs are still on the radio two years later. Yeah, people love this movie. It, it had a very slow start at the box office and then it, it took off. It still it gets drew out. sing-along People still would say, like every time Noah says he does musical theatre, people would be like, have you seen you know the Shaman? Yep, literally. Um, yeah, oh, that's something I hadn't really thought about. And that's a sad sort of, I guess if I'm thinking just like, textually like what are these texts trying to do like aside from commercially I would still stick by freaks just because it strikes such a chord um obviously like we can't really speak to the intention behind it in too specific terms because obviously we can't know what's going into something like you know why did the studio want to make this film or whatever but yeah, there's something so interesting about Freaks, the story that it's trying to tell. It feels like strangely contemporary, but outside of it because it's it's not a contemporary film. Mm. In in that context, it obviously couldn't accomplish much, um, which is a sad fact. But Yeah, you know. I think the mission statement really comes into play this week as well mm. because I go with The Greatest Showman, I go, is it even its goal to tell a story about about equality and about prejudice. Like well, I don't – it's that I just watch this film and I'm like, that could not be further from your mind. Like, you even just don't if care. we're thinking about the two sort of romantic plots of the mm. two films. So on the one hand we have, I would say, the Hilton sisters, the conjoined twins yeah. and their respective relationships. It's obviously – it's not shown in a very romantic way but that is like this whole interesting little relationship subplot in Freaks. And then in contrast, in The Greatest Showman it's – Zendaya's character and Zac Efron, who are Funky. two beautiful specimens mm. and are in no way like, I'm a disabled <laughs> or like freaky by any stretch. And it's kind of like, okay, like we're supposed to be united in our difference. You guys are like the most perfect specimens yeah. ever. Well, to be fair, Freaks also has like an able-bodied romantic storyline yeah. that is almost like kind of a Trojan horse to get, I guess, quotation marks, normal viewers in on the movie and be like, hey, these people are chill yeah. and able-bodied like one's a clown and one's an animal handler that's true and i think it's that's for able-bodied audiences to relate to and be like huh that's oh, who i would be i would be nice and i would treat the freaks sweetly and yeah, yeah. i would be yeah. like their hero or savior I, I think even further commenting on uh the comparison between the films i think they both have an interesting relationship to critique like i think the first film there's such an openness and an honesty to it. as you said it feels very blunt it feels very like this is what it is and that's what allowed it to be so panned at the time. Meanwhile, The Greatest Showman 
again, in regards to like, what does it want from its audience? I think we're not the demo for this film because it has that thing of like, it feels like from the ground up, it was built to be like, this is for people who want to belong. I don't care about your like, your judgment, like throw any insults you want at me. It does that horrible thing of movies that have critic characters yeah. like there's a character in the movie that's a critic that's He's essentially like, this is very tacky <laughs> and yeah. exploitative and you're like yes uh, oh yeah it's, the screen- <laughs> right. it's like with it's the screenwriter being like if you want to be mean to my film you literally can't because i wrote it into the film that I, we're doing what we do for the love of hu- like humanity yeah. and stuff it's yeah. saying like m night Shyamalan did it in lady in the water like wrote <laughs> it's a horrible film like wrote a critic into the film that was very like oh i don't like fun and then like brutally murdered him yeah. <laughs> i'm like that's what the greatest showman wants to do with its critics as well yeah mm. i yeah. just feel like i really didn't need another biopic about like it's a crazy man and he has like every privilege except i guess he was poor at the start of the movie but that was like 10 minutes and he has like a wife and kids that wait around for him until he gets successful. Yeah. And the way he gets successful is by taking advantage of people who should be the main character of the movie. Like, you know, one of those won an Oscar last year. And yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. do those. But I don't no. want That's them. That's why I'm the, over them. you can feel the film aching because it knows that the story it should be telling is about the people who are yeah. like not being represented and like the people that are being attacked Hmm. and then every time it edges towards that you kind of just go like so they should be the main characters and then then it's like oh back to zendaya Um, back back to hugh if they were so so desperate to have like a white pretty dude be the main character why not zach efron like his character has an arc he gradually learns about bigotry and like finds his place in the circus whereas hugh jackman's whole story is like how can i make a dime off this and at the end he's like you know what? I want to see my kids show instead of the fucking circus <laughs> yeah. that I've enslaved all these people into being. In. Yeah, I just don't think I could ever say that The Greatest Showman wins over Freaks in terms of mm. accomplishing what it purports to try to accomplish. Like yeah. The Greatest Showman seems seems like it does see like it seems like this whole sort of little deceptive act, and I, you know, and I'm also just devastated that Michelle Williams signed onto this because I love her. Oh, she signs onto um, a lot of crap. Though. What's she doing? Her voice wasn't great though, right? Like her she, has the wor- she has the worst song in the thing. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Time so why why did she thing. do it has it. She has a, a millennial yeah. woman that song. Like, okay. ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, I just, yeah, I think I'm pretty set in my Yeah, what are magic? our votes? I, I feel All like right. we're pretty set here, Meg. Freaks for me? Yeah. Freaks. Freaks. Tell me where the freaks are. You're all a bunch of freaks. I would say freaks. You little freaks as well. Freaks. But um, uh, Rewrite the Stars really bops. Uh, (laughs) I think it's a bop. Can I say as well, one last thing on freaks, like that The Greatest Showman didn't achieve. I think freaks, like maybe it's just the cast they chose, but also in contrast to Dracula, like being a very European story. I think it's almost like a migrant story as much or not as much as it is a story about ableness. Oh, right. mm. But I think having such a like percentage of the cast be these German and European migrants. Kitty is meowing at us. We're recording at home Ow. today, folks. Ow. It really <laughs> relates to the migrant story, apparently. <laughs> All right. Continue. Yeah, I think um, even though it is primarily a story about ableness and bigotry in that way I think it can also be seen as a migrant story like it's these really um unsettled people traveling around the country in caravans a lot of them are like European migrants and really displaced peoples and I think the fact that the whole movie is following them forming a community and expelling someone who doesn't respect that community it's kind of 
that is part of what makes it evergreen, I reckon. Totally. And The Greatest Showman is just like, what if you wore a wacky costume or like you had this physical difference that people would pay to see. Like yeah. it just reduces that so much. Yeah. Like, I, I can't see us having yeah. as much, anywhere near as much to say about The Greatest Showman in you know, 80, 90 plus years as we do about Freaks. Freaks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Big congratulations to Freaks. Well, Freaks is our you're one of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Uh, very exciting and very well deserved. I'm very glad that we could finally give Browning, uh, Todd Browning, and uh, the film the recognition it deserves. And now it's time for a spooky little part of the show we like to call Triplet in the Attic. <laughs> Hugh Jackman in the attic. He's just like, oh. <laughs> 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 It's time for Triplet in the Attic, where we got to pick a deformed, rejected little third piece of media. It could be a song, a book, a movie, a board game, a recipe, a weapon. <laughs> um, Please, with no weapons. <laughs> that we think acts as a, as a thematic triplet to the episode's twin picks. Uh, Meg, why don't you kick us off? So, mine is a bit silly this week. Oh. Um, it is. You guys know... Gabriel Gundaker. Gundaker? How do you say his name? Is it a meme? You know the guy. He's like, um, (laughs) a female Ghostbusters. The feminists are taking over. I'm not a virgin. And he makes really good, like, weed music. Yeah, he's so good. He's the best. Um, He's he's like a Vine guy. No, just like on Famous on YouTube. But he has this (gasps) stupid video. It's called Zendaya is Michi. So just because Zendaya is in Greatest Show. Zendaya is in Greatest Show. So watch this video, please. I couldn't think of anything else. This is the only thing I care about that has to do with the Greatest Show. It's better music than all of the music in Greatest Show. Freaks I respect way too much to touch. Can you sing a little bit of it? He he, There's, like, these posters on the wall that he's walking past. From the kids' movie. Little foot. Big foot. I think it's little foot. Mm, yeah, something like that. And small Zane Day. Small foot. Small foot. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Zane is in it. He walks past Big it. little small foot. It's all good. <laughs> and he walks past it and he goes like, Zendaya is Michi. It's so it's beautiful. stupid. Danny anyway. DeVito <laughs> is Gorgo. Guys, oh, Anyway, and we'll Zendaya put this in the show notes. But that's my recommendation. Um, if you don't watch this triplet in the attic, you are so lazy. It goes for like one minute. You have to watch yeah, it. It's, it's 51 so funny. seconds. It's just watch like it. a parody of those things where like, for like some movie no one gives a fuck about, they make like 20 character posts and you're like, who the hell is Michi? Like, who cares about that? <laughs> and he made that's a song good. about that experience. It's so dumb. <laughs> anyway, that's like, yeah, that's my triplet in the attic. Love it. She just wants to get out. She wants to be freed. I'm amazed you didn't pick my triplet in the attic. What's yours? Geek Love, the book. Oh, Geek Love by I Catherine I loved Dunn. that book. Um, I, I devoured that book. Yeah, because we both what read it? it on holidays. Uh, no we read it on holidays. It's it's fantastic. I think I was a bit too old for it when I read it. Like if I'd been a bit more of like an emo teen that was like, I'm um, a freak, no one understands me, I would have loved it more. <laughs> it's, I, it's I, I found it really Emily striking. the Strange. Yeah. yeah. It's I very, find it. Yeah, that's yeah, so I, funny to I see. think yeah. it is like a real touchstone for Emily oh. the Strange. Like, <laughs> I haven't thought about that book. You know, once you finish reading a book, you don't really re- like yeah. think about it until it gets brought up. I'm going to read that again. It's pretty beloved though. Like it's the it's book Geek book. Love is about a family of sideshow performers. I think the mum's mm. a trapeze artist, yeah. the dad's a magician or the ringleader or something and during the mum's pregnancies they ingest all these chemicals like cyanide and stuff to, to make sure and... their kids are freaks 
Yeah. And uh, that sounds really complicated and it gets way more complicated it gets from there. It's bizarre. It's a good dope. read. It's a really, really good yeah. read. Awesome. Good Love recommendation. That. Thank you. Great. Uh, my one for this week, I'm really kind of flexing my music theatre muscles this yeah, week. Yeah, say it one um, more time, I dare you. So we, we, we've redeemed... We haven't redeemed. People have been shouting the praises of Freaks for a long time, but, you know, we've made sure that Todd Browning got the appreciation he deserves today. Um, and I want to redeem Pasek and Paul. Mm. I love... <laughs> what? <laughs> they don't do it for me that much. I like the La La, I like La Land lots songs. Of but oh, yeah, they're right. So, so uh, like, everyone knows uh, La La Land, they did the lyrics for that. Um, and Dear Evan Hansen's a very popular show. I wanted to... My trip in the attic this week doesn't really suit this double feature, but, you know, if you're... Going for a drive. It's almost December. It's near Christmas time. I think you should give A Christmas Story, the musical, the world premiere recording, oh, a that listen. Is good. Um, mm. It's such a charming, uh, uh, like unknown little show they did. It was it was on Broadway and it did get nominated for best musical, but famously, Christmas musicals don't do well because you can only put them on for like a certain <laughs> amount of time. Um, it's like if you know if you like Matilda and that kind of thing, it's terrific. Um, yeah, I, I listen to it all year long, even though I can't sing any of the songs because they're sung by children. It's I find a it... tiny child with the most piping voice. Oh, like it's the insane. voice of an angel. Yeah, they sound gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it, It's voice. so catchy. What's the gun song? It's like, it's with, a red, uh, with a red rider car by an action BB, BB gun. And he gun! Yeah, like screams. <laughs> oh, it's stunning. Yeah. Aww. Um, so that's my trip in the attic for this week. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Do you feel like it's out of your system, The Greatest Showman? Because you're not allowed to talk about it anymore, you know. I re- I have to tell you, I really thought it would be purged. I no. feel it. <laughs> I feel it right there. It's, it's right behind it's my like heart. Right there, yeah. It is, oh yeah. God. So if you're listening to this, you know that you can't bring it up near me because it still gets brought up like once a week. I really want to be rid of this. Well, maybe we'll find it. There'll be like another circus movie in a couple of years and we can do another revisited. You know what might get out of my system when we talk about Halloween? My um, favourite film of all time. Well, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> not next. That's just going to add to it. You're just going to like explode your No, but brain. I'll put something on top of it. Like another, no. if I put another you movie on top. You can't doing movies you can't shut up about. Yeah, true. Well, we're, we're getting them out of the way so that people can find me tolerable. Anyway. <laughs> Let's shut up about these movies. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Twin Picks. If you had a good time, please make sure you subscribe or uh, follow us from wherever you listen. So, um... We've just started kind of really popping on the socials. So check out our, uh, our Instagram, at, which is Twin Picks, and our Facebook page uh, at Twin Picks Podcast. So on these, we'll kind of post about new episodes that are coming up and all the places you can listen. And uh, please leave us a review and rate and like and all those things because it really helps us out because we're just starting out and Mm. we want all the people we can to listen to our little family show. Tell a friend. Tell someone that's never listened to a podcast. Tell an enemy. Tell (laughs) with the weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also uh, feel free to shoot us an email at twinpixpodcast at gmail.com with any feedback, suggestions, questions, anything you think. Yeah, we just we want a nice open dialogue with and, our uh, listeners. Yeah. We we would love that. We'd also love oh. if you want to watch along 
to watch our movie for next week. Oh, I thought you were going to plug your uh, No, um, I'm not plugging my TikTok anymore. <laughs> no, no Meg, one watched Meg, it. Meg, <laughs> Meg's, Meg's genuinely very Scandal scared the podcast. this week. Like this week no, I was going to say, if you want to watch along with us, we are... Yes, we've been listening. We've been listening to you guys. We mm-hmm. are very receptive. And one of the great pieces of feedback from the first couple episodes is people want to know what, what the next watch. movies we're watching are. So that they can be caught up for the episode. So if you're going to listen along with us next week, we will be watching A Streetcar Named Desire and Blue Jasmine. So those are the ones to watch for our next episode. So you're all caught up. Amazing. And if you guys would like to read up on any more film criticism or just cool thoughts about movies written by really film literate young people, I highly recommend roughcut.com, which is a film criticism website I co-founded with a bunch of really, really talented Australian writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you That's for it listening. That's for this week, kids. Twin me, bro. I like that one. Give me a... Where th- the twins at, Where is Timmy Trumpet now? <laughs> <laughs> Timmy. Bye. <laughs>